So as we enter into this week, I, I wanted to go into it with a fresh reminder of, of three things. Number one, the priority of prayer. Uh, secondly, the power of prayer. And then thirdly, the potential in prayer. I already kind of alluded to the, um, the privilege of prayer. You know, we have this amazing privilege. Uh, prayer is one of those things. It's not, it's not um, something that I've got to do. It's something that I get to do. I get to speak to the Lord. I get to, uh, I get to bring uh, the, the concerns and cares and burdens of life and, and place them right before the feet of the, the creator of, of all things, who is my father. What a, what a wonderful privilege. What an amazing thing. But <coughs> let's, um, let's go th- through these three points, the priority of prayer. And <coughs> what I, what I want to do is I, I want to just um, refer to some passages uh, throughout Luke's gospel. <coughs> I tried my best to avoid this this flu, but I ended up, I failed in the end. I ended up getting it. <coughs> my my um, my poor wife was in bed for like nine days uh, with it, and now she's fine. And um, she pa- passed it off to me. So. <coughs> So excuse me if I am coughing here. I was hoping not to do this, but so we're looking at uh, certain just statements in Luke's gospel where we see uh, either we see Jesus in prayer or um, Jesus teaching on prayer. (coughs) And, And of course, um, the, the passage we read is one of those examples where Jesus is instructing us uh, on prayer, that men, men should always pray and not lose heart. But as far as the priority of prayer, um, we see this in the life of Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says this regarding the Lord. It says, so, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. It's, Two things here. First of all, the frequency. We're, we're told, and so this shows us that this, this was a priority for Jesus. We're told that this is something that he did often. Now, think about that. If the Son of God felt a need to get away <coughs> frequently for prayer, then uh, what about us? You know, if, if the Lord needed to pray, then obviously we need to pray. But it, but it was something that he did often. And so in that, we have uh, an example set for us that we would be intentional. Now, of course, we, I think most of us probably know that the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And we can, of course, pray anytime, uh, anywhere. Uh, we can just, you know, live out our days in uh, like a, a communion with the Lord through prayer. You know, all, all throughout the day, at any given time, when anything arises, uh, you know, whether something you see or just something comes to mind, you can just turn to the Lord and, and just, 
you know, you can pray, you can call upon him. And, and that's beautiful. And we should do that. We should cultivate the, the habit of doing that. But what we're talking about here is something a little different. It's something where, where Jesus is intentionally setting aside time. And notice the second thing that he is withdrawing. So he's getting away from the busyness. He's getting away from uh, the things that might distract him in order that he can focus in prayer. And I find that this is something that's really important for me. And um, it, I find that it's the thing that I really need to work harder at as well. Uh, I, can, I can do the, you know, all day long, just you know, call out to the Lord uh, throughout the day in prayer, but I need to be more intentional about uh, setting aside some time and getting away to a place where I'm not distracted. We are inundated with just a million and one distractions, aren't we, in, in our day and age? I mean, this, this could probably be called like the age of distraction. You know, the other day, some, uh, oh, it's my kids. My kids were down visiting over the holidays. And so we took a walk. We went down to, to the fun zone in uh, Balboa. And we, anyway, we were walking on the Balboa Pier. And as we were walking along, there were five young guys. They were probably, I'd say, you know, 16 to 19 years old. Five guys all hanging out together. You know what they were doing? They were standing in a circle and they were all looking individually at their phones. And I thought, wow, what a weird thing, you know? Hey, guys, let's go hang out and let's just look at our phones all day and ignore each other uh, because we're so distracted by this stuff. And, and isn't it true? I know for me, there's that, that big distraction. You've all heard the stories from my wife about how I am so distracted by my phone. There is a little bit of truth to that, uh, even though I hate to admit it. But, but you know, there are times where I feel like um, it's, it's like, beckoning me. It's calling me, pick me up, you know, check out Twitter. There's something of eternal value there right now that you desperately need. <laughs> of course that never really happens, but, but you get the point, right? We live in a world full of distractions. So Jesus teaches us by example that we have got to intentionally get away and focus in prayer. Now, for the past few years, I've had um, this really great time every week, once a week. Um, I get together with a number of guys, a half a dozen of us usually, maybe sometimes 10, uh, and they're all local pastors. They pastor churches in the area, and we get together for one hour every Wednesday morning, and we pray together. And the beautiful thing about that is that we, we get to really focus. We get to, you know, we're praying for specific things, we're praying for you know, challenges and struggles and difficulties. We're praying for missionaries. We're praying for all of these different kinds of things. And the beauty is, as we do this consistently, as we go week in and week out through the year, we also see answers to those prayers. So maybe somebody in the group says, hey, pray for me. You know, this week I'm, I'm going to be in India and, uh, you know, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, would you pray for me? And so we do that while they're gone and that they come back with this great report of what God did when they were there. And, and whether it's uh, something like that or just you uh, by yourself or, or with a handful of friends, just intentionally getting together, 
shutting out all the noise and just saying, Lord, we want to seek you. We want to pray for this. We want to focus on these things. You know, when we do that, we're going to see things happen. Things are going to happen to us. And of course, the things that we're praying about are, are going to be affected as well. And so number one, the priority of prayer, um, Jesus shows us that through his own example. Secondly, let's talk about the power of prayer. And, and this is where I think we need to be reminded. You know, prayer is, it's so powerful. It, it is one of the most powerful weapons we have. If you, if you kind of look at the spiritual weaponry that God has left us with, you know, the Bible uses the imagery of, of, of us being soldiers. We're in a, a conflict with the forces of darkness. And, and the Bible talks about the, um, you know, the weapons of our warfare and so forth. And, you know, there, there's kind of, you know, there's a, there's a number of different things. You know, maybe you could say uh, worship would be a, a kind of a weapon in prayer. We, we find that an example of that in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, you could say that um, a holy life is a weapon of prayer. Uh, of course, we know the word of God is one of our major weapons in prayer uh, or in, in this battle. But then um, prayer itself is one of the major things that God has given us with which to fight this battle. And we have to realize that there's power in prayer. Back in the Old Testament, um, in uh, Exodus chapter 17, as the children of Israel, they've come out of Egypt and they're, they're making their way toward the promised land. They're attacked by um, the Amalekites. And so Moses uh, sends Joshua out with the with the soldiers to engage in this conflict with the Amalekites. But then Moses and Aaron and a man named Hur, uh, they situate themselves on a hill overlooking the battle and Moses holds his staff up. And it says, as long as Moses' staff was held up, Joshua prevailed. But when Moses became weary and began to, you know, his, his, began to lower his staff, then the Amalekites prevailed. And then it says, so Aaron and her, they propped up the arms of Moses. And as Moses uh, was there with his staff held up, Joshua obtained the victory. Now, that, that's kind of a picture of what we're talking about here. That's what prayer does. Prayer gives us the victory. Prayer has power. Now, I want to read to you um, a paragraph. And, and I've quoted this many times before because I think it's just... Uh, one of the best things I've ever read on the power of prayer. And it comes from an early writer in the uh, history of the church. And I want to read to you what he wrote, and then I want to add some things to it. So he says this, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, alleviated disease, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction. Now, let me add to it. We could also say the potency of prayer has softened the hearted heart, opened the blind eyes, turned the prodigal from the path of destruction, delivered the 
addict from addiction, restored broken marriages and families, healed twisted hearts and minds. And, and we could just go on and on with the list because that's the reality. So many of the things that we desperately long to see happen in people's lives or in the world around us, you know, they're going to happen uh, through prayer. That's how we are going to see uh, the, the victory wrought. That's how we're going to see God's kingdom advance in people's lives. But you know, prayer, like we saw there with Moses and Joshua, prayer is a battle. There, there's a real battle. And just get ready. This week, there's going to be all kinds of uh, you know, resistance, invisible resistance, probably most of it, to you even engaging in prayer because it's a battle. The enemy knows the power of prayer, and so he tries to discourage us from praying. But whether it be things like uh, Chrysostom said, he, he was the one who wrote that paragraph, uh, having to do with um, hushing anarchy to rest or extinguishing wars or, or coming down to seeing a prodigal return, all of those things are, are covered in prayer. That's how those things happen. How many of you uh, this past year saw the film Dunkirk that came out? You see, you see that movie? Some of you saw it. Some of you know the, the story of Dunkirk. That's when uh, the majority of the British army was, was pinned down in Dunkirk, France, and uh, the Nazis were about to obliterate them. And they were, eventually, they were evacuated. Nobody thought that that could ever happen. There were f about 400,000 troops that were there pinned down, and they hoped to rescue maybe 40,000. Well, they ended up rescuing about 380,000. Uh, but what they did is, uh, you know, Churchill called for every able vessel to cross that channel and rescue these soldiers. And when you, when you see the film, or when you read about it in just a, a normal history, you find that it was um, a very extraordinary moment where the seas were calm like they'd not been before. And, you know, the, the conditions were super favorable. And, you know, just the average person looking at it would say, wow, what, what a coincidence. But, you know, there's another side to that history. There's a Christian side to it as well. And what doesn't come across in the movie or sometimes doesn't come across in the, in the historical literature is that there were tens of thousands of Christians praying at the time for deliverance for those troops. And when you look at the circumstances, I think if you're not biased, you'd have to conclude that that was a divine intervention, that God intervened. But those are the kinds of things that we can expect God to intervene on. Uh, remember last week when Patrick Johnson was here and he was talking about, um, he, he, I think it was here, you know, he was at the missions conference all week, but um, I think it was here that he was talking about how in the early 1980s, Brother Andrew um, of the, the Open Doors Ministry, he put out a worldwide call to bring uh, the Cold War to an end, and not only to bring the Cold War to an end, but to, but to prevent it from ever escalating into an actual you know, conflict, a physical conflict. And... By, by the end of that year, the Berlin Wall had come down and the, the, um, right, right shortly after that, the, the Soviet Union broke up. And many people don't realize that there was worldwide prayer that was happening uh, about that very thing. So, so here we are today and we hear things about um, 
you know, the possibility of a nuclear attack. And we look at the, the potential for that in our world today. And of course, we're sitting here like, well, what do we do? How, how can we do anything about that? I mean, we don't have any control over that, do we? Well, maybe we have more than we think. We can pray. We can pray that God will avert that. We can pray that God will, will stop that. And we can have the kind of confidence from what we know from Scripture and history that God does. He intervenes in those kinds of ways. Now, in Luke chapter 9, we read there about Jesus. Again, another uh, incident where Jesus is praying. Um, we read that as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. And so altered, of course, means, means changed. And I, I want to take this and I, I want to remind us that prayer brings about change. You want to change? Well, start with prayer. You know, I read uh, a couple weeks ago that the number one thing that people were looking for in the new year was personal change. Now, of course, it's a new year. Everybody, you know, traditionally people have their resolutions. I'm not going to do this. I am going to do that. But the one thing that stood out above everything else was that people wanted personal change. So, so how do I personally change? Maybe you're looking at your own life and you're looking back at 2017 and you're thinking, you know, that wasn't really that good of a year. It wasn't a good year for me spiritually. I, I wasn't the person that I know God's called me to be. What are you going to do about that? Well, start with prayer. Because as we spend time in prayer, sincerely, as we spend time before the Lord, there is a transformation that takes place. And, and that's what happened with Jesus. So whether it's with you personally, or if you have a situation maybe in your family and you think, you know, that, that needs to change. Or if it's out beyond your family, it's something that's happening uh, you know, maybe on your job, or maybe it's your health, or maybe it's your finances, or maybe it's, it's something larger. Maybe it's something that has uh, international ramifications or whatever. Uh, guess what? We can be involved as change agents. We can help change come about through prayer. That's what happens. Now, one, one quick thing before we move on to our next and final point is that Notice, I, I just keep making references to Luke's gospel. That's where we started and all of the passages that we're looking at are in Luke's gospel. And the thing that I want you to know is this, that Luke records Jesus in prayer more than any other gospel writer. So, you know, we have four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each gospel writer had a purpose and, and each of them presented Jesus in a slightly different way. So, for example, to the Jews, uh, or, or Matthew's gospel was written really for the Jews. Matthew was concerned that his people know that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And so all through Matthew's gospel, he will make references back to the uh, Old Testament. He will say something that Jesus did, and he will say and, um, that it might be fulfilled, which was written. So that, that's his desire. He wants everybody to know Jesus is the, the Messiah of Israel. Mark, which is probably Peter's gospel, but Mark penned it for him. Um, the message is that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. The Old Testament spoke much about the servant of the Lord. And that's the emphasis in Mark's gospel. 
The Gospel of John, any of you that have read that and seen that it's a little bit different than the other three, well, the emphasis there is on the divinity of Jesus, that he is the word who was with God and was God and became flesh. But Luke, Luke is a Greek, and for the Greeks, humanity was a huge thing. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. And I think it's interesting that as he puts Jesus forth as the perfect man, he also gives us a lot of information about the prayer life of Jesus. So what does this tell us? It tells us that, that a, a full life, a, a perfect life, a completed spiritual life is a life that is rooted in prayer. And so let's not forget that. There's power in prayer. Prayer is a huge priority. But then thirdly, I want to talk about the potential of prayer. The potential of prayer. Of course, as we're praying, we're calling upon God. And as I've already mentioned, we're calling upon the Lord. We're calling upon uh, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the God who's uh, you know, active in, in, in the world today, the God who's given us promises in the scripture. We're, we're calling upon him. So the potential is huge for what God might do. And we need to understand that. In, in the third chapter of Luke, we read about Jesus there. It says, and while he prayed, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And this is what I want us to think about here. The need of the hour is revival in the church and awakening in the nations. And both of those things are connected to a, a powerful outpouring of the Spirit. And listen, every time the Spirit is poured out, it's, there's a, a connection with prayer. So Jesus is praying and the Spirit descends upon him. We've been studying through the book of Acts. We'll pick that up next week. But remember in Acts chapter two, before the spirit descends upon them in Acts two, what are they doing? They're gathered together in the upper room and they're praying. And a little bit later in Acts chapter four, they gather together and they are praying about the persecution that they've experienced. And they're praying that they could continue to move forward with the gospel. And, and what does it say there? It says, and as they were praying, uh, the, the spirit was poured out upon them again. They began to prophesy the building shook. So there's this connection in scripture and in history between great moves of the spirit and prayer. And that's what we need. We need a great move of the Spirit. When we say revival in the church, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the church experiencing new life. We're talking about a fresh excitement. We're talking about a fresh, uh, just a, a burning love for Jesus and a desire to, to do his will uh, amongst his people. You know, the church needs to be revived periodically because we can slip into complacency. We can slip into a kind of a comfort thing. And where at one time we might've been super excited about the Lord and the things that God was doing and the potential for serving him. Uh, you know, we're still believers and we, we still attend church services and we still, you know, try to do our devotions faithfully, but the fire, the passion has diminished. How is that restored? Well, that's, that's what a revival is. And a revival is the spirit of God being poured out in a fresh way on the people of God. 
So we need that. That is a huge need this hour. But then there's also an awakening that's needed. And where revival pertains to the church, awakening pertains to those outside the church. Have you ever heard the term the great awakening or great awakenings? Those are ways of referring to uh, periods of, of time in our history as a nation where God poured out his spirit in an extraordinary way and tens of thousands of people in various regions came to faith in Christ, came out of sin, came out of uh, the, the bars and the pubs and the brothels and all of those kinds of things. And here we are again in history. We desperately need an awakening in the nation, something to happen where men and women come under the conviction of sin and they look for the Savior. And prayer facilitates that. Prayer has much to do with that. For anybody who's studied revival and awakenings, there's always the connection between these two things. There's always a group of people. It doesn't even have to be a large group of people. In some places where there's been these great revivals and awakenings, it started with just a handful of concerned people, just a handful of ladies maybe who decided, you know, we're going to get together and we're going to pray for our community or we're going to pray for our church. And so that's the potential that's there. And of course, that is what we desperately need. And, and it's a huge potential. The, the question is, are we going to engage? Now, remember the passage that we read. Obviously, the context is prayer. People should always pray and not lose heart. But remember what Jesus said at the very end of that? He tells the story about the unjust judge and the woman and all of that. But then as he comes down to the very end, he asks this question. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? You know what Jesus is telling us there? He's telling us that faith shows itself through prayer. Are there people that pray? Are there people that really still believe in the power of prayer? And I'm sure there are. But I wonder sometimes, I think of the, the successive generations that are coming up in the Lord, and sometimes I wonder, I, I look you know, at, the, at the younger generation and wonder, do, do they understand the power of prayer, the priority of prayer? Do they understand the potential of prayer? Do they understand the privilege of prayer? Do we understand that? Because Jesus connects these two things together. Faith is demonstrated by prayer. See, if I don't pray, you know what it really says? I don't have any faith. I don't believe that God can work. I don't believe that God wants to work. But when I pray, what I'm really saying is, Lord, I believe that you want to do something. You know, Hebrews 11.6 tells us that with, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so the person who prays sincerely, genuinely, faithfully is a person who says, you know, I believe that God is. I believe that he's present. I believe that he's at work. I believe that he has a plan. I believe that he's doing something in the world. I believe that he wants to do something in and through my life. I believe that, and I show that I believe that by praying and asking him to do it. But really, the person who never prays is a person who really obviously doesn't believe any of that. 
And that's the question Jesus asked. When he returns, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find people that are really trusting him? And, and may the answer be yes. And may we be among those who, who really do have faith and we show that faith by, by believing him, by uh, showing that we believe him, by crying out to him in prayer. So we have before us an opportunity not only to engage in a week of prayer, but to set a new course for prayer in this year. You know, this is something, and I'll just be candid and personal here. You know, this is something for the past year the Lord has really been speaking to me about. And, and more and more, I, I just see the, the need in my own life. I think of all of the different things that are happening in the world. I think of all the, you know, concerns I have for the ministry. I think of the personal concerns. I think of the vastness of the ministry that we have here at this church. And I just think, Lord, I need you. We need you. We, we need you to work. We need you to intervene. And I, I've just had this continued sense from the Lord that, you know, Brian, it's time to pray. You, you need to pray more. That's, that's the priority. So we have the opportunity, like I said, to engage this week in prayer, but not just to stop at the end of the week and say, wow, man, oh, right. Survived that week. We got through it. Had to pray all those times. Wow, that was rough. And then we fasted. Oh, that was almost like dying. Uh, but, but no, it's like, okay, we've, we've set this course. Let's keep going on this course. You know, a friend after the first service came up and said to me, uh, he said, you know, you didn't say this morning what you said last year. Last year, you said that, that fasting, I'm going to talk about fasting for a second. He said, you said that fasting was a form of worship. And he said, you know, that provoked me to fast, not just during the week, but all throughout the year, I've taken a couple of days to fast. And I thought, wow, you know, that it impacted him like that. And he was saying, hey, remember that because that really, you know, spoke to me. And so I, I did remember it. And I, I want to say that as well. So we're talking about our, our week of prayer, but we have also in the last couple of years, we've added this addition of fasting to it. There are many places in the Bible where those two things are connected. And Jesus we know Jesus fasted. We're told that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. But Jesus, he, he taught about fasting, and, and he actually assumed that his followers would fast. There was a point where the disciples of the Pharisees and John, they came to Jesus, and they were upset because his disciples weren't fasting. They said, you know, we're fasting, but your disciples aren't. And Jesus said this. He said, can the, can the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them? He said, but when the bridegroom is taken, they will fast. So the assumption that Jesus had was that they will fast when the time is right. Now is that time. Um, Jesus taught on fasting, assuming that we would fast. And he instructed us how to and how not to fast. Don't fast like the hypocrites where you, you, know, you disfigure your face and you walk around sort of complaining about the fact that you're fasting so everybody can know how spiritual you are. Jesus said, don't do that. He said, wash your face, go out with a smile, just, you know, between you and the father. And then on, on, on another occasion, there was a situation where there was a severely demon possessed, uh, young man and the disciples weren't able to cast that demon out. 
And Jesus had to come and do that. And afterward, they said, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? And, and Jesus said, because of your lack of faith. But then he added this. He said, but this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. So you see, there's a place where, where fasting comes in and it, and it brings an additional element of power to our prayers. And so that's why we've, we've decided to make this a week of not just prayer, but a week of prayer and fasting. And so f- when it comes to fasting, though, this is something that you, you figure that out on your own. We're not you know, telling you exactly how to do it. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, exactly how, how to do it. Uh, in the scripture, you have, a, you have one situation, say with Daniel, where uh, Daniel's going to do a 10-day fast, and it's partial. They're going to eat only vegetables, and he's not going to eat any of the king's delicacies. So that's one example. But then there's other examples where uh, people are not going to be eating anything at all. So it might be one or the other for you. It might be a modification of that. It might even be something, you know, somebody said to me this morning, they said, man, you know, I really got a blood sugar issue. I really, fasting is really tough. So maybe, maybe you have something physically that, that prevents you from fasting from food, but is there something else you could fast from? Is there something else that you could say, you know, this week, I'm just going to set this aside. Now, my wife, I am absolutely sure that she would say, Brian, you need to set your phone down this week. That's what you need to fast from. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell her, but I think I'm going to do that. But uh, we'll see. But, um, but, you know, we've decided, our pastoral staff anyway, we've decided that we're going we're gonna to fast this week we're, as for, when it comes to eating. We're going to do liquids, but we're, we're not going to do anything else. So that's us. You want to follow that with us? Great. Do that. But if for you, you need to, you know, figure something else out that's going to work best for you. But I'm just simply challenging you to do this, to incorporate this as well, some sort of fast into your prayer and take this week and and watch and see what God will do, because there's great potential as we do this. There's great potential for personal change in our own lives, and, the, and there's great potential to effect change on the larger level of the church, the larger level of the world. You know, there are, are many things in our lives and the world that could cause us to faint or to lose heart, but let's not do that. Instead, let's do what Jesus said. Let's pray. Now, remember last year, it seemed like every single week there was some thing, some horrific thing that happened, whether it was a natural disaster or a terrorist attack or just, you know, a lunatic decided to just pull out a gun and kill a bunch of people. Um, You know, it just seemed like every Sunday we had some new catastrophe to pray for. So, So we don't know what 2018 will hold. It could be a repeat of that. It, it could be worse. As Patrick Johnson was saying to us last week, you know, what, what does 2018 look like? Well, Jesus said wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, famines. You know, that, that's what it looks like. But in the midst of all of that, God is at work. And we are the people in and through. He wants to work and let's present ourselves to him through prayer, 
through fasting, and let's see what God will do, not just this week, not just the rest of the year, but let's see what God will do with our lives personally and with us collectively as a church uh, into the future, as long as the Lord has us here. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Lord, this is the, the astounding thing. And I think many times, Lord, I know that I just, I don't realize how amazing this privilege is. I don't realize that I can go to the king of the universe and I can just pour out everything with the expectation that you hear me and that you are at work. Lord, would you just wake us up to the privilege of prayer? Wake, wake us up, Lord, to the priority that we would commit ourselves to times of prayer, whether it's being alone praying or with other people. Lord, that we would believe in the power of prayer and that we wouldn't see a single thing that we would think that, oh, prayer, you know, prayer can't help with that. Lord, we would just know that, that the power of prayer is sufficient. And Lord, that we would believe in the potential of prayer. Lord, praying in faith that you are going to work. Lord, pour out your spirit. Revive your church. Awaken the nations. In these days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.